When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris. As always, I'm here with my co-host, A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. We talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. If you want to listen to that regularly, make sure you go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple, Spotify. Go and rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe, because if you do subscribe, you won't miss our shows when we drop them on Mondays. And speaking of Mondays, it is one right now. And we are live on YouTube. So go to the YouTube channel, subscribe, 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 hit the notification bell, hit the like button, do all of the stuff that YouTube asks you to do. And then that way you can actually watch the show and participate in the show. You can very literally get on here and talk to us as we record this show uh, and, and be a part of it. It's a lot of fun. We do it every week, 4 p.m. Eastern time, live on the A to Z Sports Nashville channel. At Charlie underscore Burroughs, at Zach Dean Day, at A to Z Sports, Facebook.com, slash A to Z Sports Nashville, and A to Z Sports.com for all the stuff that Zach and I write on the internet. And uh, A to Z Sports has got a nice little facelift lately. Um, got a whole redo, and it looks pretty sweet, so go over there and check it out. Zach, what's up, man? Yeah, the uh, the website's looking pretty nice these days. It's uh, had a nice press release from the Arena Group this morning, and everything's been something that's been in the works for a while. So that's pretty exciting news for for us, for for the whole website and the whole team that keeps growing, keep on uh, bringing bringing on talented NFL writers. Uh, Doug Kaid, uh NFL insider, and used to work for PFF Patriots beat writer, joined us uh, last week. Big addition. So exciting things happening. It really is huge. A to Z, man. I God, been uh, working with A to Z for, what, two plus years now. Two We've been doing half. this for three, three years now. That's true. Because it Just really before was before COVID. Right before COVID. Because we, we recorded live as the world shut down. That was a time. Yes. Um, but, uh, I mean, I go back years and years with those guys to see the growth that's happened is, is really crazy and happy for them. But, uh, Outside of that, it's uh, another big show for Tennessee. Never quite weak around here. We're going to talk about uh, Vols at the Combine today. And then, obviously, basketball, the SEC tournament, the the loss to Auburn, the loss of Zakai Ziegler, what it means for the NCAA tournament, too. We're going to talk about all of that, and then we'll finish with a little baseball talk. Before we get into it, I'll tell you about our sponsors Superbook Sports. There's no better place to wager on your favorite sports than Superbook Sports. Go to Superbook.com and download their app today. Rattle and snap Tennessee whiskey from Longstill Distillery right here behind me. Make your own luck just like Tennessee football's fast-paced rattle and snap offense with rattle and snap Tennessee whiskey. Omaha Steaks. 
get $30 off your order of perfectly aged steaks, juicy burgers, and decadent desserts with your with our promo code VOLS, V-O-L-S, that is Omaha Steaks. And finally, Farm Bureau Health Plans for better rates, better coverage, and better service. Go to fbhp.com slash A-T-O-Z, Farm Bureau Health Plans. We're going to start with football talk today, Zach. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, John and Jeff already in the comments. Big Ten Jeff, I'm sure he has plenty to say about uh, C.J. Stroud and everything that happened in the Combine. And we'll discuss it, but I'll I'll ask you this first, Zach, before we get into this whole conversation. Oh, I see Nugs in the comments, too. What's up, everybody? And, and I'll say, if, if you want to be a part of the show, go ahead, comment in there, anything that you're thinking. Uh, and we'll try to talk about it. But do you do you watch the Combine, Zach? Um, I did this year just because it's such a big part of my job. I, I know... People that watch this show and see me on Twitter just see the Tennessee stuff. But covering the NFL is a is a big part of what I do for A to Z. And so for that reason, I did uh, watch most of the combine. There was parts that kind of checked out during. But for the most part, I, I watched most of it. But in most years, I think I kind of get excited for it. And then after you see so many, you know, shuttle drills and outside of the 40-yard dash, there's, it's just not that fun to watch, right? I mean, you see the 40-yard dash to see how fast guys run. You can measure that really easy against, you know, it's just numbers. But even the quarterbacks throwing against the air, I, I mean, we've seen tons of that in practice, and we've seen so many quarterbacks that look great in practices never see the field or look terrible. So I don't tend to put a whole lot of stock into that. So it's not it's not that exciting to watch. And, and I do often wonder how much stock front offices put into this stuff. Is it? Does it really matter if you run a four four versus a four five? Uh, if you're yeah. a wide receiver, I mean, I mean, I I went back and looked, and obviously we're going to talk about this. Like people saw Jalen Hyatt run a four four one, and they were like, "Oh, he was supposed to be the fastest guy on planet Earth!" And oh my gosh! <laughs> but then you go back and you look, and I saw uh, AJ Brown ran ran a four four nine, and he's you know he's arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL last year, so. What does it really mean? And that's that's what I always think about when having these conversations about the combine. And kind of why I want to preface this conversation first and say, like, we're we're going to talk about how all of the balls there, there were seven Tennessee players in attendance at the combine. Six actually worked out. Obviously, one of those was Hendon Hooker, and he cannot work out at the moment because of the knee. But uh, yeah, just in terms of deciding how much stock to put in it, it's always just such a crazy question because they when you look at the analysis the nfl when they when everything is listed on the nfl's official website about the combine they put a grade on it and they they literally put a title on every player that goes average backup at best future starter boomer bust and they put that tag on it. i'm like all you saw them do is just run a 40 yard dash. <laughs> now, of course, I'm sure that they're also taking into account like film from college and things like that. I would assume, I would hope, but still they, they talk about it so definitively and that's always so funny to me, but uh, yeah, I, I'm never totally sure how much stock to put in it, but there were some Tennessee players that had some really, uh, really good showings. Yeah. I thought uh Byron Young was probably the, the Tennessee player that really helped his draft stock the most ran like a four, four, three, significantly faster than will anderson again how, how much stock do you put into that but you certainly don't i mean you want to put up good numbers and it can kind of confirm what people think about you but in will anderson's case he ran a four six in the 40 which is fine for an edge rusher 
but it seemed like you know ESPN wrote something a, a little blurb about how he sh- how he fared at the combine and you know four six is kind of probably average uh, for that position and they were kind of just like giving him credit for hey at least he showed up and ran because he's a top five pick I'm like yeah we're we just giving guys credit just for showing up like that <laughs> at this point that's what it felt like so yeah what what does it really mean but I, I thought Byron Young maybe helped himself a little bit because he's one that's I think people were kind of split on you know some people thought maybe he was a little undersized but I, I really don't see that being too much of an issue Darnell Wright had a had a good day. He's really boosted his draft stock to where he's yeah. pretty much a surefire first round pick at this point. Don't know how high he'll go. It depends on need there because he's you know strictly a right tackle, and that's where he'll play in the NFL. I'm sure. Uh, you know, depends on who needs a right tackle. That's part of the deal. Like the Cincinnati Bengals need a right tackle, for example, but they pick at the end of the first round now. I don't I don't know if he'll fall to them. Well, we'll talk about all of that. Well, I'll, I'll give my my breakdown of what you just said, Zach, right after I tell all the good folks at home about our first sponsor, Rattle and Snap Tennessee Whiskey. It's, well, so the the read that I had in front of me was that it's wintertime, and what goes better with wintertime than whiskey? But really, I mean, it. I guess it's technically still winter here. I don't, have we crossed over into spring? Yeah, I think it's what, like March 21st, 20th, 21st, somewhere in there. But he, here's the thing. I mean, it's like, 60 to 70 degrees outside right now here in Knoxville. And here's the thing, just like cold weather, you know, what goes great with a spring day like that whiskey. (laughs) When is there a bad time for whiskey is the question that I would ask here. Uh, Logstill distillery has released a new Tennessee whiskey product line called rattle and snap Tennessee whiskey named after a long forgotten game of chance. Rattle and Snap is a whiskey for those who make their own luck. There's a four year and an eight year version of rattle and snap. I have the four year version right here. I told you last, Tennessee, I did it the eight-year version, but then I watched Tennessee basketball. Now I only have the four-year version. Uh, but uh, it, it's so good in cocktails or by itself. I love it. You, If you watched me in Crompton's post-game shows during the football season, you saw me drink uh, plenty of this straight out of the bottle, actually. <laughs> so it, it's, uh, it is very, very good. I, I really love the Rattle and Snap. It's available across the state of Tennessee and also available in Kentucky, Indiana, Mississippi. Run, don't walk, and get yourself some Rattle and Snap. Tennessee select straight whiskey right now. Follow them on Instagram at rattle and snap whiskey um, and, and go uh, join in the fun because whiskey's awesome. So thanks to them for sponsoring the show. And uh, our segment with them is the rattle and snap Tennessee stat. And uh, I have them for you that you already, you already almost mentioned there, Zach, but uh, here was the Tennessee stat that I had. Darnell Wright ran a five, 5.0140. It was sixth fastest among offensive linemen. But here, here is what I noticed from that where this stat stuck out to me. Darnell Wright is like 335 pounds. I uh, Let me see if it says exactly what his weight is here on the NFL website. But what I noticed in the set of offensive linemen was that his time was 333. It was easily the fastest for a guy of his size. The number one offensive lineman who was a guy from Georgia was more than 20 pounds lighter than Darnell Wright. Darnell Wright was moving out there. And, you know, again, we just had that conversation, how much stock you put in a 40. I think it's interesting with an offensive lineman, though, because that's really 
That's not their expertise. That's not where they shine. But you get a guy like Darnell Wright, who's as big as he is. What what is his height? Three hundred thirty three pounds, six foot five. I mean, the dude is a giant, and runs a five point oh one forty, and is one of the fastest among all offensive linemen. And yeah, you you already said, dude's a first round pick. I, I think he almost has to be anybody that is going to pick him up. I, in my personal opinion, is going to have a guy that has a long NFL career. He's going to do a lot of really good hard work for you. Uh, but uh, it, that it just his his performance in particular stuck out. Even though I guess I would say he, he was probably the one that I expected the best performance from, uh, for the most part, from Tennessee's players. But um, you know, he showed out. The one that was controversial, though, and I think the one that people probably want to hear the most about was Jalen Hyatt, though, that we've already mentioned. He runs a 4-4-40. And four, was it 4 Make sure we get that millisecond in there. And people were like, he's, oh, he's so slow. They said, look, he's, he was supposed to be so fast that he can only run a... <laughs> Should we be concerned, Zach, about... Jalen Hyatt, because ultimately he he graded out. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what the NFL said. He graded out a 6.50, which has, according to the NFL's official website, boomer bust potential. And he was an 89 overall uh, score. So how do you how do you take that, Zach? <laughs> well, uh, let me go back and touch on something about the offensive line. Just one second sure, yeah. before I go to Hyatt. Do these guys really need to be running the 40-yard dash? Because we saw Wanya Morris, a, a Oklahoma offensive lineman who played at Tennessee for two years, like hurt it, suffer a hamstring injury because he's running this 40-yard dash, something that offensive linemen don't normally do. And as impressive as Wright's time was, again, you're probably not going to get drafted based off your 40 time if you're an offensive lineman. So that, that might be something they want to reconsider in the future. Send, uh, send an offensive lineman out to just run 40 yards, something they probably do once in their career and mm. being at the combine. But as far as Hyatt, I was surprised by the time. I thought he had a chance to get into the 4-2 range. I think that's what he wanted because you run a 4-2-9 and all of a sudden you're in a different stratosphere when you're a draft prospect. We saw it with John Ross several years ago who, who had a couple of okay moments in the NFL, but for the most part was a bust. Uh, another reason why you don't put a whole lot of stock into that 40 time, but just the way we watched Hay Jalen Hyatt blow past guys this past season, I really felt like he would at least be in the four, three range. And, you know, afterwards he, he didn't participate in the rest of the workout after the 40 yard dash said something about a, a hamstring soreness. Maybe that slowed him down. Maybe that was an excuse to run a faster time at his pro day later this month at Tennessee. I, I don't blame him if that's the angle they're kind of taking there because if you're Hyatt and your big strength is speed, I, I think they wanted to. I think NFL teams probably wanted to see that in the four three range because they want to know for sure that he can blow past these defenders. I mean, if a team like the the Kansas City Chiefs is going to select Hyatt as kind of a replacement for uh, Tyree Kill in their offense, not saying he's going to be Tyree Kill. That dude's a freak of of nature in in every way. But you'd want somebody that runs a similar forty time, and, and you know Tyree Kill ran, I, I think, in the four two range. So. I do think it's something that NFL teams will be a little concerned about because there's already concerns about what's his route running like? Can he beat press coverage? Uh, these are questions that he'll have to answer uh, once he gets to the NFL just because it's, it's not there on tape. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, we just have to see against some of the competition he'll face and some of the 
whatever type of offense he ends up in. That that's one reason why I think landing with the Chiefs or the Bills, somebody gets kind of creative on offense and has a big arm quarterback like a Mahomes or a Josh Allen would be the ideal situation for Jalen Hyatt. I don't think he needs to end up somewhere like the Titans or the Panthers or one of these teams that don't really have a, a stud quarterback. And I think he might need that. If he puts it all together, he, he can be, you know, a great NFL player. But I, I do think there are a lot of question marks. Personally, I like Cedric Tillman as an NFL draft prospect a little bit better. Uh, I, I think he's just got more skills that translate to the NFL, especially like his body control. When you go back and watch a lot of his touchdowns, he's having to adjust midair a lot of times to make some of these catches. It's really impressive. I kind of like him at the next level a little more than Hyatt. I would tend to agree because you just, you see the type of players that truly excel in the NFL more. The guys like Jalen Hyatt have absolutely excelled in the NFL at different points. You mentioned Tyree Hill and just guys like that, but the dudes that bring it more often are players that look like Cedric Tillman, bigger guys, great body control, can can fight for a 50-50 ball really and He's more in that A.J. Brown type yes, guy. Yeah, exactly. Now, it, it is interesting. You look at, I, I'm purely going off of the, the NFL.com player ratings after the combine. And Jalen Hyatt was number one at the combine. He, he ended up grading out the highest 6.5. Josh Downs from North Carolina was a 6.41. But he, that's that whole thing is so... Strange because Jackson Smith and Jigba, yeah, I know Big Ten Jeff's going to love this, but I really do mean it. Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State was probably the guy that I expected to grade out the highest. He was injured all season and didn't really get to play, and maybe that factors in here. But he was way down the list at 6.29. And who knows exactly what all that means as far as that goes because Tillman, Tillman was fourth overall, 6.38. Uh, I want to say they graded him as I want to say an eventual starter and click on it and see, and it will eventually be a plus starter, whatever, whatever that might mean. But I, I just find all of this stuff really fascinating because I, what I would love to know is like, you go back and like Juwan Jennings has carved out like a decent little spot in the NFL with the 49ers. What did he project as did, did I don't even remember if he went to the combine, but yeah, because he ran pretty slow. He was like in the four, yeah. Oh, that's four, right, seven yeah. range, I believe. It was not, fa- which we didn't expect Jawan to, to be very fast. We knew that he wasn't a burner from his time in Tennessee. That was never really his game. Yeah, no. But regardless, I say that to say, like, who knows how these things really turn out at the end of the day? And so much about that is so weird, just in that isolated setting where like a 40 is such a singular thing that you run and just some of the drills that they do, like people, people posted that video of uh, Will Levis throwing to, uh, to Jalen Hyatt, Jalen Hyatt dropped the ball. Well, Will Levis underthrew the ball and it was all against air. There was no defender. How, how do you even judge that? Because you look back at the game that Tennessee played against Kentucky, Will Levis was absolute trash and Jalen Hyatt scored two touchdowns. So, you know, like how exactly do you judge these things? Where do you put the uh, the emphasis when evaluating these players? Because all I know is that I agree with you there. As good as Jalen Hyatt was, I probably project Tillman to be more of an NFL guy just in terms of his physicality and the, the style of play and things like that. But 
with hard work and determination, who knows what can happen. I, but I, I will say this out of all of the offensive guys that Tennessee had at the combine, including Hinton Hooker, I think they all have real potential to play at the pro level. And I think that's, that's a good thing. De- defense might be uh, a different story, but, but I like them all post combine. Yeah. I, I definitely, like I said, I definitely like Tillman. We'll see on Hyatt. Darnell Wright, obviously, I think he's going to be, a, you know, carve out a really nice role in the NFL and be a starter. The one that surprised me that didn't even get invited to the combine was Jerome Carvin. Yeah, um, that guy played inside and started every game. I believe the past two years he gave up one sack over the entire last two years. How does that guy not get an invite? He can play left guard, right guard. He can play center. So he can play anywhere inside. I mean, if a team takes him, I'm not going to say it's going to be a Trey Smith situation as Trey Smith is a unique player and is on his own kind of level there. But somebody's going to draft Jerome Carvin late, you know, seventh round and get a steal, like a potential like swing starter type guy. Maybe he can, you know, develop into a, a weekly starter. But I was very surprised that he didn't at least get an invite. And then Hendon Hooker, I feel like, his draft stock just plummeted, you know, after he tore his ACL and you weren't sure how long he was going to be out. And the loss to South Carolina, I think kind of helped hurt him a little bit too, just because the perception of that game and just the negative connotation that came with it. I mean, that's, that's the lasting image that you have of, of Hendon Hooker in a Tennessee uniform was that game, but just the way that he has showed up to everything he's been in these interviews, he hasn't skipped anything. His, his character is off the charts. And that's not to say that other quarterbacks aren't either. I mean, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, they seem to be great, great people. Pretty much most of them outside of Stetson Bennett seem to be pretty great people. And that guy gets way too much of a pass, by the way, because I've seen other quarterback uh, prospects just ridiculed for far less. I mean, Lamar Jackson went through the ringer whenever he was uh, coming up to, to be drafted, and Stetson Bennett's out here skipping the Shrine Bowl and Senior Bowl and getting arrested in Dallas, and they're just like, it, it's a footnote on, on that guy. But anyway, I think Hooker's probably impressed some teams. He's supposed to be ready by training camp, so he's I, I don't worry about the age. I know we've talked about that before. If you get 10 years out of that guy and you draft him in the second round, I think you're thrilled. Uh, but just his determination, his mindset, I feel like he might have that little it factor about him. I'm not saying he's going to go be a, a Pro Bowl quarterback. I don't know, but I think he can be a guy that sticks in the league and starts some games and maybe becomes a long-term starter for a team. Uh, even if you end up being a, a Kirk Cousins type guy that's solid but doesn't ever get your team over the hump, that's still a pretty good career. Yeah. And if Hooker can do that, that's – I mean, Tennessee hasn't had a quarterback in the NFL – to, to start, you know, outside of Peyton Manning uh, consistently in a long time. So just just having that would be huge for Tennessee. Yeah, and and that really is the bottom line out of all this as far as this discussion about Tennessee players go. I hope for the best for all of them. But the more success you have with guys going to the league, the better that is for recruiting for Tennessee. When you can point and go, we developed that guy. I mean, especially Hinton Hooker coming in. As a total no name, if you will, he was actually a Pruitt guy, I guess. But you could do this the same with Joe Milton, who is a hypo guy. Um, you know, you look and you go, we developed him. He's in the pros now. He's a starter. He's doing this. I think for sure at wide receiver, that's going to end up happening. That's an absolute certainty at this point in my mind. But at quarterback, that's a game changer that would be amazing for recruiting and on defense. Boo, we can move and talk a little bit about Byron Young and all of that. But 
I mean, it's a, it's a recruiting tool at the end of the day, as far as it goes for Heupel and his staff and what happens with Tennessee football going forward. Um, I want to see every single one of these dudes succeed at, at the pro level, but it's <laughs> at the end of the day, it's a recruiting tool for Tennessee. And, and that's just the truth of this discussion. Now on the defensive side of the ball, where I think it could be really, really huge. The only defensive player for Tennessee that kind of showed out was Byron Young. He was presumed to be undersized and maybe not have the physicality that it takes to be in the NFL. That may still be true, but he ran a really speedy uh, for uh, 40 and uh, he he just has physical traits where I think he could develop uh, into a good player at the NFL level but yeah when you just take that initial look at him and you you look at guys like Nolan uh, is it Nolan Smith from Georgia and some guys like that and it, there is certainly a difference as much as I hate to say that like Georgia has just uh, recruited super elite guys mm-hmm I mean, they're physical freaks. There is certainly a difference there, but I also look at Byron Young and specifically this, kind of to the point that you were making already there, like he came from, wasn't he a a manager at a Dollar General? Mm -hmm. Tried out at like a community college then got recruited by Tennessee through that. And then he's at Tennessee and has worked super hard and was one of the better edge rushers in the the SEC this season at, at the top end of his ability. And I mean, I think the guy will put his nose to the grindstone for you. And, and really work hard. Is he going to go out and be an absolutely dominant player in the NFL? Probably not. I would say that the odds are against him, but I would say that it is possible. So there's that. And I love that. And I, I want to see that happen more for Tennessee with defensive players, because <laughs> Lord, Lord knows if you're going to use this as a recruiting tool, um, Tennessee needs the recruiting prowess on the defensive side of the ball. So well, what'd you think about Jeremy Banks, uh, his testing? Did you see yeah. how he tested? Uh, Cause Ben Hall here points out that he, he didn't expect him to test like that because Vols beat reporters made it seem like he was such an average athlete. He, he ran what a four five in the 40 had a vertical of 37 ish, mm-hmm. I believe. I mean, that's, Pretty athletic. I always thought he was fairly athletic. I thought that was one of the things that kept him on the field is he had good speed. Uh, he was always, obviously not good at all in coverage. I don't know how that will impact his draft status. Maybe he goes late, like sixth round. Maybe like the Chargers take a gamble on him because Derek Ainsley's out there, who was his you know defensive coordinator for a couple of years when, when Banks was there under Jeremy Pruitt. I could see maybe that type of situation. I think he could definitely play on special teams. I think he's a perfect special teams player because yeah. you're kind of out of control. You know, it doesn't really matter what happens, but if he's going to stick and earn a, you know, some playing time in the NFL, he's going to have to be disciplined. And he was better at that this season. We didn't see those just, unnecessary personal foul, you know, that we just kind of came to expect from him in 2021 and before, but he could be an interesting prospect with the right coaching. He's got the athletic ability to, to be a good player in the NFL. If he can figure out how to cover, you know, a tight end or whatever he has to do, it would that, be about determine. Yeah. It would be about keeping him focused and getting him working to being better in coverage. I mean, you even see elite guys in the NFL. It's just hard for all linebackers to play coverage, especially against the yeah. elite dudes that are yeah. wide receivers in the NFL. No tra- I mean, nobody can cover Travis Kelsey as it is. That's yeah, true. exactly. That's that's a really tough spot to be in. But he, yeah, he ended up grading out five 
5.94 average backup is what the NFL says for I Jeremy. I can see that, but again, it, you just want to be in the league, right? I mean, that that's the biggest thing for some of those guys is you just want to hang on with the team. You know, if even if it's a backup role, you just want to be in the NFL. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that really is just the truth as far as that goes with defensive guys. I, I would love to see that. Especially for Byron Young, but uh, after after how much time Banks Banks put in and overcoming the getting what kicked off the team effectively and coming back and kind of having a redemption arc, but then also even after he had the redemption arc, kind of making some stupid mistakes and doing some things like the South Carolina game, and and that that was an interesting thing that happened at the combine too. And just passing, he was asked about that South Carolina game, uh, and didn't he sort of said things without saying anything. Uh, I thought, I mean, that's probably the best way to handle that. Right. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't throw anybody under the bus. He didn't take blame. He didn't give blame to anybody. He just kind of said, he did say there was no reason he shouldn't have been playing in that game. He did. He did throw that in there, which is kind of an interesting comment, but you could take that several ways. That could be him taking responsibility for whatever happened, or it could be, you know, suggesting to the coaches that he feels like he should have been playing. I mean, he came back and played against Vanderbilt. Uh, so it's not like he was ostracized from the team. I think – I still think that that all got blown out of proportion. I think Tennessee's yeah. defense just had no clue what it was doing that night. And I think South Carolina came out with a very different game plan than they'd had the week before, and it was just the perfect storm. And, and that's not to take anything away from South Carolina. They made the plays. I mean, they beat Tennessee, and – and, and until Tennessee beats South Carolina in 2023, which I think I think they will back in Knoxville, you can't you can't talk too much trash to South Carolina fans this offseason. You you just can't. I mean, because they can they can point to the scoreboard and there's not really much you can say. That's a, that's a team Tennessee should have beat. At least the basketball team beat South Carolina by a combined 40, like eighty or combined ninety eighty five. Yeah. <laughs> at least there was that. You might get another shot at them too. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, but to round out that whole conversation, Paxton Brooks was also there. He graded out of five six, which is candidate for bottom of roster or practice squad. So um, he's got a little work to do. But I, I honestly, that probably projects right. He wasn't a total standout at Tennessee, but again, hope the best for him, and I hope that he can find a spot. There, there were guys like a like a Michael Pilardi that ended up having an NFL career. And I was like, Oh, there's no way he's not going anywhere. And yeah, he's, they figured out. So uh, I, I will finish with this. And I, I want to know what you might think, Zach, just to wrap up the combine conversation before we get into uh, another quick thing we want to talk about with football. But Jeff says, can I throw shade on Cedric <laughs> Tillman here? This man got up at the combine and said into the mic, that Tennessee is wide receiver. You, he should have been drug tested immediately i i have some thoughts here he did say that cedric tillman said tennessee's the real wide receiver you something along those lines it's an interesting take what what did you think <laughs> seeing that well i mean historically tennessee at one time did consider themselves wide receiver you uh, up in, and a lot of people described them that way up until probably what the mid maybe mid 2000s yeah they kind of slipped off a little bit they've had some good wide receivers over the years a couple of them are still in the nfl you know cordero patterson josh palmer juan jennings but i don't think you can call yourself a wide receiver you when you know lsu's out there with uh jamar chase and justin jefferson just tearing it up and uh, two of the best wide receivers in the league 
Clemson's got, you know, trouble out there. T. Higgins could easily be, you know, a number one wide receiver if he wasn't playing alongside Jamar Chase. The guys had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. Uh, Tennessee, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you the last Tennessee wide receiver to have over 1,000 yards in the season. It's it's probably been a while. I mean, I don't think Cordero Patterson's ever done it. He's more of a running back now. There's really nobody else that that's played that's had a long career in, in quite some time. So, you know, maybe they can get back there, especially with this offense that Josh Heupel has. But we got to see Tillman. We got to see Hyatt. We got to see some of these guys get to the NFL and continue to play at a high level. That's how you end up getting that back. You can't go be drafted in the second round or third round like Valus Jones last year and then struggle as a rookie. And his struggles were with fumbles. So that's not really you know, playing the receiver position so much as ball security. And a lot of that was on punt returns. But you, you just got to go to the NFL and take it back. So until they do that, you can't really call yourself wide receiver you. There's just no basis for it. I mean, if you if you had an 18-year-old that, that's considering Tennessee and you tell them, yeah, this is wide receiver you, and you say, okay, well, what wide receivers would I know that played there? They might not know who Marquez Callaway is. They might not know who Josh Palmer is. Uh, they're going to know who Justin Jefferson is and A.J. Brown and Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill and some of these other top wide receivers. So you got to have a couple of those guys, I feel like, before you can say that. Yeah, some truly elite guys would help that that like really have a name out there, your A.J. Browns and guys like that. Um, that would help. But I will say... If you just want to talk about wide receiver you and just getting wide receivers to the NFL as the baseline of that conversation, I will say this. I think Tillman is three years ahead of time on saying that. Because after this coming season, if Heupel continues on the trajectory that he's already been on and Tennessee wins 10 games and has a nice year and um, the wide receivers have big years like they probably should, you will, in Heupel's first three years, have gotten four dudes in three years taken in the first three rounds of the NFL draft at the wide receiver position. That's pretty great. Uh, and, you know, certainly gets you on the way to doing that. And Mr. Jones says it here. You're the number one offense. You had the Belitnikoff Award winner in the second year. Hyatt has star potential. I think Tillman has has great potential and could be dudes. And then obviously Brew McCoy this coming year, Dante Thornton, maybe Squirrel White. I, you know, who knows exactly how all of that pans out with all of those dudes. But I think you will have a litany. By the time Hype leaves Tennessee, if everything goes correctly, you will have a litany of wide receivers in the NFL. So I think like you might be three years too early there where maybe like after Nico's last year, you have some guys that have really panned out in the league and then, you know, two top three round picks, a wide receiver that same year. Like, yeah, OK, at, at that point, we can go like, yeah, Tennessee's wide receiver you at this point. You know, they want one of the best quarterbacks in America paired with some of the best wide receivers in America. And but at this point. It, it might be a little early. I want to give Tennessee that moniker for sure, because it's getting there. You can see it's all there to eventually be that but it's not there yet i don't think is is how i would put it maybe i don't mind tillman saying it all that much no. though i mean you put it out there you get attention for the program yeah other other fan bases will laugh at it and ridicule it but they do that over anything positive tennessee does too <laughs> i mean just look at georgia yeah. fans on social media they 
they like to talk about Tennessee more. They like to talk about Georgia, who's won back-to-back championships, but they're so focused on Tennessee. It's they apparently can't enjoy those championships. But I don't. I don't mind Tillman saying it. I just don't think he's probably right yet. We'll see. Time will tell. Uh, but I think that that's going to be it for for the combine discussion. But now we're going to switch lanes a little. Stay in football. Stay with ball football. We're going to switch lanes a little bit and point our uh, our lasers here at the national media, as we have very, very often on this show. They are some of my least favorite people in all of sports. Uh, and we're going to talk about some thoughts that uh, Dennis Dodd at CBS and some guys at ESPN had about Tennessee quarterbacks. Um, they weren't the most complimentary, and we're going to tell them why. They're stupid idiots and they deserve it. But first, I got to tell you about our great sponsor, Superbook Sports. Make 2023 the year you beat Vegas. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head to head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports. Just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds, boosts, and promo bets you will find anywhere. Download the Superbook Sports app right now or visit Superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. That is Superbook Sports. Obviously, the NCAA tournament is coming up. And is there a better time to bet on sports than the NCAA tournament? I would argue that there might not be. So get in on that. Superbook.com. Uh now, let's talk about these idiots in the national media. <laughs> they deserve to be lambasted at all times. We're going to do a little bit more of that now. You wrote about this at A2ZSports.com. Zach, your headline is National College Football Reporter. is trying to create a false narrative about the uh, about Nico El Malayava. Uh, what what happened here? What uh, what did the clown Dennis Dodd say? Uh, he must really hate Tennessee because he always takes, I mean, there's a few of those, right? Dennis Dodd, Dan Walken, Pat Ford. We know that they're kind of famous for taking shots at Tennessee, even when there really is no reason. And this was another one of those instances. He wrote an article about like what the things to watch for this spring in college football. And he talked about the quarterback battle at Tennessee. And for no reason, he includes this little tidbit while talking about Nico that says, there are already whispers that he's not worth the $8 million, which, again, nobody's ever confirmed the $8 million NIL deal. So the fact that he's kind of referring to it in that language is surprising, being a reporter. But what is he talking about? Like Nico hasn't even practiced at Tennessee yet. I mean, he had the bowl practices, but that was a game prep for Clemson. That wasn't installs. That wasn't going through, you know, kind of where they – they break the offense down and start with fundamentals and go through spring practice and, you know, on into the summer and eventually the season. He's just kind of was there to, to, to see how it goes. And he participated, of course, but there was very little to glean from Nico back in December. And even the stuff that we did hear about him was positive, you know, coming from Josh Heupel and Joey Hosley, the new offensive coordinator and some of his teammates, Joe Milton and others, it was nothing negative. It was all positive that he seems to be picking things up quickly. He's he was already you know studying the iPad with the notes when he went to the Polynesian Bowl. He had you know he was still keeping up with all of that. So I don't know why Dodd threw that out there. I don't know where he's getting it from. Uh, it feels like something just pulled out of thin air. Maybe it is. 
I don't know, but it, it, it was an unnecessary shot. And when somebody like Dennis Dodd says something like that, because it's a national media outlet, because it's CBS Sports, because he is a a reporter with great access to college programs and who has this voice, it does create this narrative. And it's completely unfair to Nico. It's completely unfair to Tennessee in general. And I don't know what his end game is there. I don't know what the point of that is. Why would you – this kid should still be in high school. He, he shouldn't have even graduated yet. He should be enjoying his spring semester of high school. And instead, he's got a national columnist and reporter writing about how he might not be worth this NIL deal that he may or may not have received from Tennessee that we don't really know the full details of how the deal even really works if, if he does have it. So maybe it's performance-based. Maybe it is all legitimate endorsements that has nothing to do with football. Well, we don't really know how the deal works. So for him to do that is just irresponsible and just another example of, of his vendetta against Tennessee. And you can laugh at, at that, you know, saying that there's not a bias or not a vendetta. But, I mean, I think Tennessee fans know at this point it's blatantly obvious that for whatever reason, they just don't like Tennessee fans. It's it's really the fans more than I think than the program. And, it, you know, even with Tennessee going 11 and two, it, it didn't really change their perception of the program. Yeah, this is, this is also stupid. I, <laughs> I think Mr. Jones, he says Dodd equals dumb old, dumb, dumb. Um, and and you know what I can't stand the most? About him. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but I cannot stand that every time you watch the Tennessee-Alabama postgame video, Dennis Dodd is right beside Jalen Hyatt and, in that celebration, trying to interview him. You know, he's there in the, in the midst of all that. So every time you watch that, which is like one of the best Tennessee videos ever, uh, you, there is nothing better than that moment. You have to see Dennis Dodd's face right there beside Jalen Hyatt. Yeah, he does. Uh, he does postgames. Um, on CBS with uh, with Josh uh, uh, Pate, who friend of the show, great, and and I hate that that he brings Pate down like that. Pate needs to st- not do that because uh, Dodd's an idiot. But here's why this is so stupid to me, and the, the first thing that came to my mind when I read this because I actually before you sent, I had totally missed this for some reason. You sent it to me today. I was like, oh, we should talk about this, and I the first thought that came to my mind was what does that even mean? Not worth $8 million. He hasn't taken a snap. Yeah. And how, how would you, how would you go about determining that at all? Because here's, here's the truth. If, if Nico Yamaliava has a, in, so he'll probably play for two years at Tennessee. And in those two years, if he goes n- nine and three, that's a pretty good year. You play in a bowl game and you'll sell tickets. I mean, obviously he's already going to sell tickets because Tennessee fans are so hyped about him. That's already going to happen. I would very much argue right there. The investment has paid for itself. Plus some period right off the top. That's if he just goes nine and three, if this dude takes Tennessee to the playoff deep into the playoff, because I think it, by the time he plays, it'll be the, uh, the 12th team. Mm-hmm. Um, if Tennessee goes deep into the playoff, his value to Tennessee is almost innumerable. I mean, just an unbelievable amount of money that he would bring into Tennessee. And to say that before he's ever really practiced with this team is so stupid in a way that I, I can't even wrap my mind around. It's not even, I don't feel anger. I just, am, I'm like, we should all laugh at this guy. What is he, what are you doing? Well, how do you even have credibility anymore? That's so stupid. I, I'm not genuinely not sure exactly 
how I'm trying to frame it to to show exactly how dumb it is. But if Nico in one of those two seasons reaches the playoff, that will have paid for itself 10 times over. Tennessee football brings in hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. This is not something where, like if Tennessee's operating budget for football was $8 million or $10 million and they went out and spent 80% of their budget on Nico Yamaliyab or however it was happening, you know, 80% of its budget or out of the pockets of boosters or whoever's splitting that bill. I don't know. Uh, but outside of that, like if he's decent, he'll be worth that amount of money. And if he's great, like it looks like he might be, it will blow that so far out of the water. Like Tennessee already has more money than it knows what to do with. And that's just after an 11 and two season with Hinn and hooker. So I'm, I, I, it, I'm almost at a loss for words at how dumb this is, but uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> he's, the, he's the he's the same guy who said that the Tennessee would not be relevant in the SEC for a long, long, long time. <laughs> he said it's just not going to happen uh, right after Jeremy Pruitt was fired, which I know a lot of people said that, but his soundbite saying that was a little more gratifying after to listen to after Tennessee went eleven and two uh, and beat Alabama. Oh, that was the other thing in that soundbite. He said they're not on the same level as Alabama, Florida, LSU, Georgia. Tennessee beat three of those programs this year. Ah, he's a smart one, old Dodd. Uh, yeah, I, oh, I, I, this is a good point by Ben Hall. He says Dennis Dodd isn't worth whatever his contract is either. I, that's probably 200% true. Um, no way that he's generating enough clicks, uh, for old CBS. To make yeah, we that probably helped them out. And we probably helped them out because there was probably. a lot of page views on whatever I wrote there about, you know, Nico, which Nico does the world. I mean, people are interested in Nico, so obviously, but yeah, Dodd uh, probably gave you more attention than you deserve. So dumb. Uh, but the idiocy didn't stop there. You also wrote this, Zach. ESPN, this is your headline. ESPN is already taking unnecessary shots at Vols QB Joe Milton. So they're not keeping Joe Milton's name out of their mouth either. Um, what did ESPN say about Joe? This was another just a little tidbit in an article that I didn't feel like was necessary. They were talking about the court again, talking about the quarterback situation at Tennessee this year and talking about uh well, basically, first they were talking about the Tennessee's luck with interceptions. They didn't have nearly as many tipped passes intercepted as other programs. They didn't have a ton of tipped passes in general, but when they did, they were intercepted at a lower rate. And they suggested that that would be hard to maintain and that also moving to Joe Milton, who is more mistake-prone as a quarterback, you know, could, could cause Tennessee some problems. And I was like, why? No, he's Hendon Hooker's special, right? Like, we don't – who knows – if Joe Milton will be able to live up to Hendon Hooker, who knows if Nico will, we'll just have to see. Joe Milton is not mistake prone. You know how many interceptions he's thrown at Tennessee so far? He threw none last year. I know he that. He threw none in 2021 either. Now I know that's limited action, but 144 pass attempts, zero interceptions. He's wow. thrown six in his five years playing college football so far. So Hendon Hooker threw an interception about once every 80 passes or so at Tennessee. Joe Milton, for his career, has thrown one interception every 50 passes. And again, he's yet to throw one in 144 attempts at Tennessee. So they feel like he's mistake-prone, but yet Will Levis is viewed as, you know, top five draft pick 
a can't miss prospect type guy. And he threw an interception once every 28 attempts in college. You don't hear that a lot about him. All you hear is excuses for him, but then they want to throw that out there about Joe Milton. How's that, how's that fair to Joe Milton in any way? Uh, he completed 65% of his passes this past year. I know he was inaccurate in that early action in 2021, but how, I mean, Hooker had bad games too. If you just looked at Hooker in the Georgia game, you would wonder how good he was. Even the Ball State game where they won what 59 to whatever in the season opener, I remember us talking about like it felt like Hooker left some some completions out there. It felt like he overthrew a few guys. I mean, it was early in the season. That happens. That's what happened to Joe Milton in 2021. So it just feels like he's having to overtake this reputation that that he doesn't deserve at all. When you look at Joe Milton and the physical tools, he should be hyped like Anthony Richardson and like Will Levis and like some of these guys. Like They didn't face the same uh, scrutiny quite as much. So I, I don't get it. I don't understand what it is about Joe Milton. I'm not going to say that ESPN broadly hates Tennessee uh, because I, I, you know, there's a lot of good people that work there at ESPN. And there's a lot of different personalities that have different tapes. So that would be kind of an overarching thing. But whoever wrote this certainly does seem to have some issue with Joe Milton or they're badly misinformed. I don't know. I'd say there's a lot of good people that work at ESPN. Uh, there are a few. Um, <laughs> put it that way. Um it does seem like the perception of Milton to people that have not watched that entire progression and seen the practices and seen the garbage time that he's played and seen, you know, maybe watch the orange bowl. The perception of who he is comes entirely from like tweets from Michigan fans where they're or like, the oh, memes, the oh, memes like Hill. about him yeah. throwing the ball into the stands, which are fun, exactly. but that's all it is. He, he went out in the orange bowl and through passes that I have not seen him throw before. He was better. He was improved. And he has progressed in his time at Tennessee. He's not the same dude that started for Tennessee and lost his job. He's not. And yeah, it is one game. We'll have to see him do it consistently. You know, that's huge. But like, you can't say, oh, he didn't do it against good competition. Clemson had a, a pretty solid defense last year. He did it against really good competition. Uh, and, and was throwing really nice kind of thread-the-needle passes uh, at, at spots in that football game. Oh, that touchdown to Brew McCoy, the first, yeah. I think the first touchdown of the game, beautiful. I mean, uh, perfect yes. ball placement. And and if nothing else, I mean, he keeps the ball out of danger with overthrows. Typically, overthrows are no one catches the ball. They don't – more than they get picked off. Um, and so I, I the perception there is just off. I think just people haven't – haven't seen him play, haven't seen how he's gotten better or won't give that the time of day. It, it'll take to get people like the idiots at ESPN to kind of take notice. It's going to take him what, you know, I, I I think it'll even take probably through the Florida game next year, go win in the swamp. Um, and then you, you can probably turn some heads. Cause I think even Virginia, Virginia is probably not going to be much of anything in that first game of the season next year, even though it is power five competition, but Get through there, and then finally, hey, we did it against SEC competition. Is that enough for you people? Hello, uh, but it, yeah, I, I just think he's he's getting a bad rap from all of the all the time leading up to here, and there's been no consideration of oh, he's actually gotten better because I've I've even seen people talking about almost in an in an assumptive way that he's going to lose his job to Nico. There's been no indication of that whatsoever. Where have you seen this? Who is saying this? 
Because I know the reporters who cover Tennessee closely every single day. None of them are saying this. <laughs> and they go, they go and see the practices. And they talk to the coaches. And their sources are people inside the program. And none of them are saying that. So I'm... Uh, Where, this, what, it, this is all very silly. If Joe Milton would have declared for the draft this year, how do you think he would be viewed? Because Anthony Richardson, and we don't know how he would test, obviously... Anthony Richardson boosted his draft stock a little with his testing at the combine, but he's viewed as a pretty much a top 10 pick at this point, Richardson. And we'll see if he actually goes top 10. I mean, some people said the same thing about Malik Willis last year and he fell to the, to the third round. So it starts to play out, but Anthony Richardson has 393 passing attempts in his career, 3,105 yards, 24 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, Joe Milton, kind of played a similar amount of snaps. He has 296 attempts, 2,500 yards, 17 touchdowns, only six interceptions. Milton has all the same physical abilities. We don't know if he's as fast as Richardson because we haven't really seen him have to do a lot of that. We have seen him run some, and, and he can. It's not just like that old Miss game, which was a – I think he just didn't know what the situation was in that moment. We have seen him take on contact and 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 do well at that. But otherwise, the arm strength, the size, all that that they praise Richardson for is there with Joe Milton. But I don't think he would have first-round hype at this point at all. I think he'd be like a fifth-round fifth pick is what they would project him as. And I don't – like, what am I missing there? What what do I not see about Joe Milton that these other people see? Or is it them? You know, I'm not foolish enough to think that I see something that they don't. I, I just don't get it. I, I don't understand it. I, I've never fully understood it. And I mean, we've we've had in a, just a few weeks ago, we've had NFL analysts on this show. And, you know, I read the coverage and watch NFL Network to see what these people say. And I don't know where they get some of this stuff. I mean, I genuinely don't. And then when some of these guys bust in the NFL, I go like, yeah, we all saw that. How did you not? <laughs> like everybody was saying this. And I, it, it is it is just really silly. And. The there is absolute bias when it comes to a guy like Joe Milton that is built in from you know what we said the memes the 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 Michigan fans all saying oh well good luck he couldn't ever do anything for us and you know him losing his job to Hinton Hooker and, and, and that too like on top of all that the intangibles one we've talked about how much of a leader he is even when he was in the backup but you're not going to find a better character you know, guy than Joe Milton. He's been an Seriously. incredible teammate, like the best teammate possible that he possibly could have been through a situation where we've seen it tear other teams apart. We've seen guys transfer, pout. It happens all the time. And this guy did not do that at all. I mean, he was there for Hendon Hooker, helped him prepare, stayed ready, was as devastated as anyone when Hooker went down. He is everything you could want in a teammate and in a quarterback, and I, I don't understand why the hype isn't there. I don't know. But will he's just going to have to prove himself. And unfortunately, I feel like he's done that to a certain extent already. But who knows? Um, so there anything else with football before we, we finish with a little basketball, a little, little baseball, Zach? Yeah, well, let's address Mr. Jones asked if, if – uh, if we think that Tennessee will add a third quarterback from the transfer portal to have uh, as an option behind Joe Milton and Nico, well, uh, doesn't seem like they're going to. I, I think, think they would. I think they would like to. I just don't think that guy's out there. 
Yep. And we talked about that before. It's really hard to find a guy that wants to be a third-string quarterback behind uh, Nico, who is definitely going to be the starter in 2024. You know, if something happens to Joe, he's probably going to be the guy that takes over in 2023. So your third-string quarterback is hoping for two injuries to happen for him to to play a role. Most of those guys are going to want to go somewhere where they can play, even if that's a group of five schools. That's something that's going to be really hard to find for Tennessee. And and that'll be a problem for pretty much every program moving forward. That's not something that will be unique to Tennessee at all. I, I think a lot of programs will have a similar issues. And that, and that could cause some wild scenarios for teams. I mean, if you might see some wildcat, uh, who knows what you might see in that situation. Uh, maybe somebody that played, you know, quarterback in high school that that's a receiver they might want to put out there just to kind of shake things up a little bit but it would be surprising if they did add someone I th- like, like I said I think they'd like to it's just hard to find that guy yeah I, I don't think that that person exists that that's the only problem I'm certain that they would like to do that why would you not you really need the insurance they probably want four scholarship quarterbacks sure. to be honest I mean in a perfect world I mean that's what you saw before the for, before the transfer portal era uh, there were times where Tennessee under Pruitt had what Garantano, uh, Bailey, Shrout, and Maurer, and they had signed Caden Salter too. So they, you know, they had four or five guys usually at a time, and a lot of those guys played. You know, forced to play. They did. Yeah. I if if they can find somebody like that though, I would be very impressed. I, I would say that if they can get somebody to come and basically agree to be a bench player. I think the the best case scenario is if you can find somebody that was, you know, maybe like a three star that doesn't have a career in the NFL and they know that and they want to get into coaching. And maybe they've seen Josh Heupel the way that he kind of takes these guys under his wing. If you go play quarterback under Heupel and you don't get to the NFL, you're probably going to be a GA if you want that. And you'll move to an analyst and he showed that he will promote. So that is one angle they could take. But again, you, you have to find the guy that wants to do that. Yeah, it's, it's just a very certain type of person that's going to be tough to find. Uh, uh, well, I can say this one too. Mr. Jones says, who will fill Princeton mm-hmm. roles? P- Princeton fans role. It's going to be McAllen Castles and it's going to be Jacob Warren. It'll be interesting to see yeah. if they use one of those guys like a fullback in the same way as Fant. Because, you know, Fant had a history so. as a running back. So that was a skill set that he kind of had. I don't know if you can force Warren or, or Castles into that role. Maybe they find somebody else. Maybe they find somebody on the defensive side of the ball, like you know AJ Johnson back in the day when they kind of used him in the beast package. Oh, they'll, yeah. they'll, <laughs> the offense isn't going to be the exact same as it was last season. Part of that's because no. of Milton. Part of that's because Golish isn't there anymore. Part of that's just because Tennessee evolves. Uh, we saw it from year one to year two. We're going to see it from year two to year three. You're going to see a lot of different wrinkles and different formations and a lot of different ways that Tennessee tries to attack the defense. They they want to stay a step ahead. They don't want to react to what the defense is doing. They want the defense to react to what they're doing. So I don't know if that will be part of the the playbook moving forward. It's all about the personnel and what they have and what they see. Yeah. Cam I, I Selden, will... that's a good point, though, that Mr. Jones brings up. Cam Selden, that mm-hmm. guy – can be used in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. true, true freshman. It'll be interesting to see how they use him. Yeah, they they play to the strengths of the players they have on the field, clearly, and they're pretty innovative in their thinking, generally speaking, and I don't think it was all coming from Alex Golish. So, no. I think they'll be just fine. Um, but we do have to uh, move on. Tennessee basketball dropped its final game of the season to Auburn. Not necessarily surprising, but disappointing nonetheless. 
and uh, they got the fifth seed in the SEC tournament. We're going to talk about the draw that they have ahead of them and if they can be uh, repeat SEC champions right after I tell you about Farm Bureau Health Plans. Farm Bureau Health Plans have been serving Tennesseans for over 75 years. Much has changed in Tennessee over the years, but some have stayed the same. Farm Bureau Health Plans has always valued personal relationships, especially when it comes to good health and good service. Plan on Farm Bureau Health Plans for health, dental, and vision. For better coverage, better rates, and better service, go to fbhp.com slash atoz. Or walk into one of their 200-plus locations across the state. That is fbhp.com slash atoz, A to Z, Farm Bureau Health plans. Tennessee uh, lost out by losing to Auburn. They lost out on the uh, double bye in the SEC tournament. They're a fifth seed behind Mizzou, um, who they barely lost to on a half-court heave. And if they would have just beaten them, they would be the fourth seed in the SEC tournament. But here we are. Such is life. Um, ultimately, it really wouldn't have made much of a difference because you were probably going to play Missouri. If everything falls away, it probably is going to you probably would have played Missouri in that spot regardless in that that Friday spot but the draw is this in its first game Tennessee will play one of Ole Miss or South Carolina and then they will play Missouri if they beat that team and then they will play most likely Alabama but it could be Florida or Mississippi State if either of those teams beats Alabama and then the next game would be the championship game uh it's an interesting draw because you could face um, Brandon Miller and that whole situation again. You already beat them once, and you beat them once without Josiah Jordan-James and without uh, Phillips, and now you're going to have to do it without Zakai Ziegler if you do end up playing them. Uh, when you see this draw, what do you think Tennessee is going to do here, Zach? Mm, God, that's such a loaded question, and it's... Uh... <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I I think Ole Miss beats South Carolina. I don't. I don't think there's any way that. I mean, it's possible that maybe South Carolina. Emerges. They very nearly beat Missouri on Saturday. Ole Miss did. I I I tend to think Ole Miss will uh will come out of that. I mean, this tennis. I mean, I, Tennessee could lose in the first round, and it wouldn't surprise me. Or they could go, you know, all the way to a championship, and it wouldn't surprise me. I I really don't know what to expect. I didn't really that Auburn game. I mean, they were in it. You know, so I feel like they could they could be okay uh, moving forward without Zakai. I, I don't know about making a deep deep NCAA tournament run, but I think I saw enough from them where it's like okay, they can they can get by. You know, they can still win games without him there. It's, it's not the same. It's a little bit different, but they they still have it in them. I don't know. I'm not ready to make a prediction on them. You know, going past Friday, to be honest. I like this point from Tanner in the comments. He says, this basketball team is so weird. A time traveler from April could tell me literally any outcome in the next six weeks, and I would believe them. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, absolutely. 100% with that sentiment. I have no idea where this is going to go. I mean, I, I can say, I think Tennessee will make the semifinal. I, I think they'll make it to Saturday and probably play Alabama. Now, at that point, I would guess Tennessee will lose to Alabama. Zakai Ziegler is such an important piece there. He's so important in, in terms of that matchup. Like Javon Quinterly for Alabama is so prone to turnovers and he plays really wild when he's not on and focused. And Zakai Ziegler is the perfect match for that. He throws guys like Quinterly off. He throws guys like Wendell Green off who you lost to on Saturday for Auburn. He's so good against guys like that. So pesky. 
gets in passing lanes, is all over the place defensively. He was, as of today, he was named to the uh, all SEC defensive team. Um, the, the SEC coaches voted and he was all, all SEC defensive. Uh, and I think all SEC second team too, as a point guard, um, should be first team in my personal opinion, but whatever. Uh, but he is just really important in a situation like that. And I, I think defensively, Tennessee has more than what it takes to beat Missouri. They can correct the mistakes of the last game. And, you know, maybe Missouri won't shoot absolutely out of their mind and have a, a crazy, insane day where they make a half-court shot to win the game. You know, I don't think that's going to happen again. And I think you should absolutely, if you lose the one of Ole Miss or South Carolina, I, you know, I don't even want to think about that, but that's very bad. I would put it that way. Even even without Zakai Ziegler, that is not a good loss in any way at all. You beat South Carolina by freaking 90 points. But and, they only beat Ole Miss by, what, four or five? Yeah, it was, it, was at, it was at Ole Miss. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's not, I don't feel like without Zakai, like I said, they can they can get by, but I feel like the potential for like a major letdown is still there. Sure, and they you know that was with Zakai again. I think I mean, he played in that game. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's why I'm like I, I just don't know. I mean, they could roll through this thing all the way to Saturday and have it set up with a big game with Alabama, or something bad can happen. That's I agree with the time traveler uh, comment there. Barnes has historically performed well in the SEC tournament, and and that's why I you know he's made the the championship game three out of the last four times the tournament's been held, I think, and then won one of those. So I will say that playing those games without Zakai should help them. You know, most of the Arkansas game and, and all the Auburn game should help them be prepared, you know, for this tournament without them, without him. You know, it really, it kind of sets up that Vanderbilt on the other side, if they can get past Texas A&M, I mean, they have a chance to, a path to the championship game with the yeah. way they've been playing. I mean, they beat Kentucky already. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, yeah. I, I mean, if you're, if you're Kentucky, you're probably, or, or Kentucky or Texas A&M, you're probably a little concerned with that draw. I mean, realistically the way, although Vandy doesn't have Liam Robbins, he's out with injury yeah. and that's their best player. So there, there is that. Um, but yeah, they've, they've had some nice little freak wins here to end this season. They won in Rupp and kind of made a little noise. Um, but I, to to me, if I'm predicting, I think they make it to the semifinal, and lose to Alabama probably. But you can, I think you can beat Alabama because actually, Mr. Jones makes a great point here. <laughs> I, he mentioned what he mentioned last week. He says, uh, "Jemai Mayshack needs to be Jemai March Shack here." Yes, that that needs to start immediately. Uh, but then he says Mayshack can defend Brandon Miller, and, and that you is said huge, that before. Huge, huge. You said that before. That's the key to beating Alabama. If you can kind of eliminate him, that there's nothing else. But also, I mean, Tennessee might be the only team that can really do that because of the way they play defense. Because True. you think if it's that easy, why doesn't everybody do it and shut that guy down? But Tennessee has done it pretty much once. So, you know, but it, I mean, it it really is the whole game. Texas A&M did it, and they played Alabama in the final game of the season. They beat Alabama. Brandon Miller had a terrible game, and Alabama lost. Like that is their game. More or less, you eliminate him from that team. They probably miss the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, and which is, I'm sure, why Nate Oates felt the need to cover for his player after everything that happened. Dude, uh, once he goes, like it's gonna be so hard to recruit for Alabama. You would think after that whole situation, if you're Lord a parent, willing. you know, you're gonna. It's not like Alabama was a hotbed for college basketball to begin with, or college basketball recruits to go there. With the Nate Oates reputation and all this that's happened, I mean, this could be like their last kind of 
all right, y'all had some fun for a couple of years. Now you need to go back to being being Alabama. I'll, I'll be interested to see who stays out of the out of uh, Clowney and and Mark Sears and those guys. The, the additions to Miller haven't been the stars. Um, if they stay, they might be fine before. But that that's what uh, we you'll see. Some of these ACC schools had some down years, like UNC, that's probably gonna miss a tournament now. I bet they're they go portal shopping pretty heavy. So yes, wouldn't surprise that- me. That could be a move there. But um, regardless, that would be my prediction. Semifinal, and then they they don't make it past there. But in obviously, you already beat Alabama, so it wouldn't be surprising if they make it. And I think I would say this. If they make it to the championship game and play one of Kentucky or Texas A&M, I actually think Tennessee would win the title. <laughs> so there's a very real scenario where Tennessee wins the SEC championship. Because I, I can't like, say that about Kentucky though, after losing twice with Ziegler. So, Not that they're good. It's just it's so hard to beat a team three times in a season. It's so true. hard to beat a team three times. I like I tend to agree, but I actually think, speaking of Jemai Meshack, it might be a little bit of a better match with Casey Wallace to have Jemai Meshack playing uh, again, kind of in the weeds there in terms of matchups with SEC teams, but it might actually be a better matchup than it was with Zakai on the floor. I, that's projecting a lot to say that Tennessee is ever better without, uh, without Zakai. That's tough. I mean, they, they would be better than those games where Zakai was in foul trouble, which was happened decently often. But outside of that, I mean, he, man, he was such a, such a killer and that that's a brutal brutal loss but honestly as you said and and tanner in the comments said nothing will surprise me at at this point and then of course we'll talk about the tournament next week when that time comes but uh it's uh it's an interesting time for tennessee basketball i and I, I do think the injury to Zakai almost insulates Barnes from any criticism here if they if they get bounced earlier or anything. Yeah. I mean, you can because people in in decompressing from the regular season after that loss to Auburn and the regular season was over. I I just posted, I said it was a disappointing overall, but a decent regular season. You're gonna be almost certainly a three seed in the NCAA tournament, four seed at worst. And like that's pretty good like that's okay and then all the responses were like well there were a ton of injuries there were a ton of injuries there were a ton of injuries absolutely true in my personal opinion that wasn't the defining characteristic of this team there were but you won a bunch of games without josiah jordan james you beat kansas without him you beat alabama without him you won some of your biggest games without some of your best players so you know i look and i go if you were 100 healthy you win maybe three more games this season maybe you you mm. win like the the vandy and the missouri games or something like that I mean, hit free throws you win those games exactly exactly so maybe there's some factors shot. like that but it that wasn't the now now going forward without zakai that's such such a brutal injury for your team that is one where i kind of start to give an excuse to barnes there Deep um enough. but out outside of that uh I, I have a hard time just being like, oh, it was injuries. That's why we were inconsistent. They were inconsistent when everybody was healthy. But yeah, uh, that, that's a whole other conversation. Let's touch on this real quick because it's something we don't ever talk about. What do you think about the Lady yes. Vols this weekend? Huge, you know, Ashton. Huge. Mentions Lady Vols basketball with an upset and a letdown. Give a take on them real quick. I, beating LSU, I was like, okay, 
maybe uh, maybe starting to figure it out a little bit here. I mean, that's a that's a yes. massive win, massive win. And then I, losing to South Carolina is not that big of a deal. I mean, that's they're going to win the national championship. Yeah, they're going to go on. Yeah, so that that wasn't that big of a deal to me during that game, the South Carolina championship game. I believe the announcer said that South Carolina gets an offensive rebound on 49% of shots they put up and miss like miss shots. Yeah. 49% of the time they get an offensive rebound and it was so hard to watch where it was just like, you literally couldn't get a defensive rebound against them. And and it's not like the lady balls don't have some amount of hype. I mean, South Carolina is just ridiculous. They're, they're going to easily win the national championship this year, in my personal opinion. But I will say this, for Kelly Harper, it was her first ranked win of the season, uh, beating LSU. That was only LSU's second loss of the entire season. Mm-hmm. The first loss was South Carolina for them. And South Carolina whipped them up and down the floor, if that tells you how good South Carolina is. I mean, they destroyed LSU earlier in the season. So I I look at that. That is a huge, huge win that gets a pretty decent amount of equity with me for Kelly Harper because at least I can look and go, hey, she can do this. Now, this is what I will say, though. Because she's she's on thin ice with me. I'll be 100% transparent. I want that Lady Vols program to be elite, and she has not been elite. Um, this tournament is huge. I think the NCAA tournament is huge. Make at least an Elite Eight. Please make the Elite Eight. And best now, if you can, if she can make a Final Four or even much less a national championship game, if she can do that, you've won two years of equity with me at that point, if you can get back there. But an Elite Eight... You make it there, and I won't be having the maybe Tennessee should move on to another coach conversation. I will put it that what way. If, That's how tenuous if, it is, like to me with Kelly Harper. I'm so serious about the Lady Balls program. I love it so much, and I want it to succeed so badly. It's and, been a very polarizing conversation that I've seen. There's a lot of people that are ready now to move on. There's a lot of people like you that are kind of like, okay, I don't know, but we'll see. You know, that LSU win gives you a little bit of confidence. Let's see what happens in the tournament. And there's people that are just like mad that you even bring it up. Like they just hate the idea of it, which I can get. I mean, she, you know, she's a former lady vol. That's a really hard thing to do to to move on from her if you feel like that's what has to be done. But I mean, if, if you had a, if you had lady vols didn't have a coach right now and you had to go pick Kelly Harper or you had to go pick Kara Lawson, who would you take right now? Kara Lawson. I think most people probably would, right? Yeah. I, well, and you just look, Tennessee is still, despite the years in the wilderness, one of the most powerful programs of women's college basketball. Um, you look at what else you did this last offseason getting Kim Mulkey. She lost two games this year. Two. And that was a huge hire. Yeah. I mean, I Matt- mean, the results speak for themselves. Like, yeah, they're they're butting their head up against probably what will be one of the the great women's college basketball teams of all time in South Carolina this year. But like they they went from absolutely nothing to two losses, literally overnight. Mm-hmm. I mean, just go make a great hire. That's what I would say. Like it just seems so, you know. And everybody says, "Who would you hire?" That's a different conversation that I'm not going to get into. But that's, you know, the thing I'll say about Kelly I, Harper. I feel very strongly about it. The thing I'll say about Kelly Harper, and I want to, I, I would love for her to have success at at Tennessee. I would love for her to. You know, take the program back to what it was. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever see it what it was under Pat Summit. There, there will never be another Pat Summit. So you can't really put that expectations on anybody. That would not be fair to anybody. But 
this is kind of what she's been throughout her entire career. I mean, I think she got fired at one point, I believe. She did, so, NC State. Yep. What, it's almost like the Rick Barnes conversation. What do you expect to be different? I mean, Barnes is delivering what you hired him to do, basically. He's run a really good program. He's kept you relevant. He's given you a chance. He's won you an SEC championship. He's done pretty much what he's done his entire career, dating back to Clemson, you know, back in the mid-90s. I feel the same way about Kelly Harper. So that's a really tough decision to make when, when you think about those things, because it's like, okay, the, you know, it's, it's in an okay spot, but it could be better. When do you, what do you, you know, when do you make that decision to make it better or to, you know, I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting that Danny White's not her AD, not the AD. Well, obviously it's her AD, but it's not the AD that hired her. Right. I don't know if that makes a difference, but we'll, Honestly, we'll see. As I said, this tournament, how he handles it. This this tournament to me is is really big. If they get bounced in like the second, uh, the second game of the of the tournament, might have to have a conversation about that. I mean, seriously, like, I I don't know. But uh, before we move on, I I didn't want to talk about this comment here. No, because Noah James is just giving me an opportunity. He says, "How good are Omaha Steaks? One of our amazing sponsors on this show. Um, they sponsor this show." And he says, I, I want to know, do they have Wagyu steaks? Yes, they do have Wagyu steaks. Uh, I've seen it on the website. Um, but they are genuinely very high quality. They're really good. And I, yes, they are a sponsor of this show. I am very literally paid to say that. I will be upfront about that. They are high quality steaks. They absolutely are. So I'm just personally, I'm a big food guy. Yeah, I will say, say listen to Charlie's opinion on this because his his Instagram story always has some interesting dishes that look like they put some thought and time into to making them and preparing them and presenting them. And I would listen to Charlie over me on this because we were both in New York back about a year ago at the same time. And Charlie was at these, you know, nice establishments. And meanwhile, we ate at this little uh, place in New York called Panera. That you might have heard of. So <laughs> you also had your kid with you. That's you know, there's a little true, difference true, there, but <laughs> but that can give you a little bit of insight. So take uh take Charlie's advice on this. I, I I'll say just a couple weeks ago, we we took the filet mignon from Omaha Steaks, we sous vide it and seared it, and whoo, it's tasty boy. I don't know. Uh but it they I will say they they are pricey. I don't know what your threshold is for paying for steaks. There is that, but also the price the priciness also comes with the convenience of them delivering it right to your door. So there's that too. But um, I appreciate you giving me the chance to shill for one of our great sponsors. I'm going to do it again right now uh, for a different sponsor. We do have, we have to tell you about this right before we shift out of this conversation about basketball, run your pool. This is our, our newest partner. Let me get their graphic up here. The home of competition, run your pool, go to play dot runyourpool.com slash atoz and go sign up and you can compete against me and zach in their bracket challenge it's going to be us in there along with everybody else from a to z and uh the the uh top the person that finishes in first gets a really sweet prize go check it out uh play dot runyourpool.com slash atoz go check out their stuff i'm really excited about this because i love a good bracket challenge i do I'm like the type of guy that makes like 50 brackets every year just to see what will happen with each. If I can, you know, do that one that wins me a car or whatever it is. Uh, but um, I'm going to be in there. Zach's going to be in there. Austin, Zach, everybody. 
uh, from A to Z is going to have a bracket in there and you compete against us. So go to run your pool right there. Let me make sure I didn't uh, make sure I don't forget any details here. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Prize to the top person. Fill out your bracket for all 63 teams in the tournament and get points for each pick that you get right. That's sort of the detail there. But go there, play.runyourpool.com slash A-T-O-Z and compete against us in the old bracket challenge there. Now, uh, let's uh, finish with a little baseball talk, Zach. The Vols... um, How many games in a row is it now? Eleven. Eleven. Okay. Um, oh, and I get I I'm actually supposed to do a read for Omaha Stakes right here. Do we consider the Omaha before before we talk about the eleven straight the eleven straight wins for Tennessee baseball? Do we consider what we just did for Omaha Stakes the read for Omaha Stakes? It's, it might have been better than the read. I mean, honestly, that's kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> I'll I mean, I hear Noah's still giving me chances to talk about. It. He says nothing better <laughs> than a steak with crab, crab legs, surf and turf. Am I right, Charlie? Um, Noah, yeah. you are absolutely right. And you know where you should get your steak for that surf and turf? Omaha steaks. There, I think that's the equivalent of a read for for this show. Also, they're they're going to sponsor one of our clips for this week too. So they'll it's all there. Uh, even if it's not the official read, we still uh, got it out there for him. But baseball, eleven straight wins, and. These are absolutely dominating wins. But what I want to know from, from you, Zach, because you're much more of a baseball guy than myself, although I do uh, really love baseball. Um, a- Ashton says in the comments here, bats seem to be coming alive. The The bats are not what they were last year, but they did in that, uh, that set of games, especially with Gonzaga. Tennessee put up some runs, and especially Blake Burke. Oh, and it's so for for Omaha Steaks, it's supposed to be the Omaha Steaks who's cooking, and it was gonna be Blake Burke for me. Blake Burke is cooking right now. The dude, I six home runs. I think it was six home runs going into that that last game. I don't think he hit one in the last game against Gonzaga, but I I believe that is the number currently. I mean, the dude is just blazing. Uh, he's a cheat code at the plate. Um, what do you think of Tennessee's offense so far? Because obviously the defense is gonna be good with the set of pitchers, but. Your thoughts of what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought it would end up this way. That slow start, I wrote a column about it. It didn't really concern me because it was a bunch of new guys gelling. You had two guys, Merritt and, and Ahuna, that weren't even playing. You're out in front of a tough crowd in Arizona. I mean, that I didn't concern me at all. This is kind of what we expected to see. And it's just further confirmation that the culture and the environment uh, that Tony Vitello has created for this team, is it, it's, it translates to – from, from 2022 to 2023, I mean, that's a big part of being successful in baseball. You have to have the skills and the talent, but playing in an environment where there's not a lot of pressure, you can just go out there and perform and have fun. That's what Tennessee does, and I think that's we're seeing that from them. We've seen some of the same stuff we saw from them last year. We saw it early uh, in the season with Christian Moore kind of chirping a little bit. Uh, and we did he didn't get time called and we saw it more this weekend when when Burke got hit uh, intentionally and got a pitcher tossed out of the game so Tennessee's definitely got that same bravado same swagger the the bats picking up is not surprising at all I mean they've recruited well it's it's, it's a different set of characters but it's the talent level is it's pretty close to the same I, I don't know if you're gonna have 
as many guys drafted off this team, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're right there at it. There were some fielding problems, especially in that last game against Gonzaga. That that needs to get cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Well, I've a- had that kind of or since the start a little yeah. bit. But but I also think they vastly improved at shortstop with with Maui Huna. I mean, he made a beautiful up. play cutting across the Ooh. middle of the field, uh, cutting that ground ball off and throwing the runner out. That was that's an MLB yes. level play that he made. Yes, I mean he he's an elite shortstop. So you you improved there, specifically third baseman in that Gonzaga game two different times of just some real bumbling <laughs> kind of plays that were made uh, that needs to get cleaned up. But I, I think obviously you make the mistakes now against Gonzaga so that you don't make them later against Arkansas or whoever. Um, so I, I'm, I'm happy about that. But... And I've seen people talk about that. Okay. They haven't really played, you know, great, great team since those first two games of the year. And I mean, that might be true, but baseball is such a, fickle sport where strength of schedule and stuff doesn't really come into play. I mean, you see it in MLB all the time where they talk about how easy somebody's schedule is. Oh, you, you're playing a bunch of under 500 teams and then they go out and go three and seven against those teams. Like it, baseball is just not that way where it's in football, where it's just like these guaranteed wins. Anything can happen. Pitching's bad. I mean, everything's got to go right. Even against a, a bad team, you still have to go out there and perform at a high level. Everything has to go right. Pitching, hitting, base running all of it so I, th- I regardless of the competition 11 in a row is pretty impressive to me anytime you do it in any sport yeah i mean vandy lost to southern arkansas or something yeah but i mean I, it happens it's baseball you were gonna yeah. have these inexplicable losses at that, times and tennessee doesn't really have those i mean i know last year didn't end the way they wanted it to but that was obviously against a really good competition and notre dame but they don't have these terrible, awful losses. They, they're unexplainable. They, they just don't. Yeah, the, the closest was last year against Tennessee Tech when they were using the wooden bats. Yeah. A really weird game at Smoky Stadium, I think, if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly. It was an odd game. They lost that one, but that was about it. That's weird that that was one of their nine losses last year. But um, anywho, I, I just, yeah, the pitching is absolutely elite. You know, Drew Beam didn't give up a run until Sunday. That was the first time he, he gave up two runs. The guys that gave up all the runs against Gonzaga were uh, were the the sort of bottom end of the bullpen type of dudes that Vitello is just trying to get get work in for. And I'm um, nothing that has happened so far is has gotten me off of thinking that this Tennessee baseball team isn't going to be really really damn good. So. That's that's how I would just kind of put a period on it to just go until I see them play an SEC play and like they don't match up somehow. Okay, maybe we can talk then. But, you know, you're annihilating the teams that you should and the pitching is clearly excellent and the fielding needs work, but it can get there and the the bats are heating up. So seems like it's all working so far. Did you see where the Florida player threw out the middle finger against the the Miami third baseman? Nothing. Uh, I mean, crickets from the net from anybody. You, uh, I mean, it in some sense, it is because you know, Tennessee was number one and it was in the NCAA tournament. The setting was a little different, but that, that was a big game against a big rival. The thing that I thought was funny out of that entire situation, yes, the national media didn't say a single thing about it. And screw them for that. Um, you're gonna get all moralizing about Tennessee, you got to do it for everybody, but. Um, 
the thing was with that is that Florida ended up losing that game like really badly. <laughs> At least Tennessee won the game where yeah. Jordan Beck did that. And they won. I don't want to say exclusively because of that hit by Jordan Beck, but it was one of the big reasons. Yeah, I but they were down in that game. They were down 4 yes. nothing in that game. And, and that hit got them the lead back, if I'm remembering correctly. It tied the game, maybe. Um, and yeah, Florida, he hit. And I want to say they still lost by like 10 runs. Like it was like a blowout. Um I, I might be wrong about that, but I, I did see some of those scores. They did ultimately, they beat Miami in one of those games, but uh, I, I don't know. It just was uh, very stupid. Of course they have. If the national media didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have standards at all. So there wanna, is that. Since we're here near the end of the show, people are just hanging on. I'm sure you got any thoughts on the Grizzlies here? Noah asked about the uh, oh. game last night when they blew the lead. Scored 51 points in the third quarter and then scored 17 in the fourth and lost. Had a had a like 15, what did you say, a 15-point lead yeah. in the fourth and ended up losing. is absolutely ridiculous. The whole thing with Ja. Yeah, they're in a together. tough spot right now. I, I don't know what's going on with Ja Moran and all that stuff. If he's like going to rehab or whatever he's doing. What, just, what you know, rehab going. do you go to? I, I don't know. Yeah, because it's not like, it doesn't seem like there's like drugs Substance or anything abuse, like that. No. It's like people he's hanging out with, yeah, things that the, he's doing. I I don't know. But get it together because you got a dude that's having an MVP season and he's losing his mind. And I, it's, I will say for Ja, and I haven't really said anything about this because it's been such a strange situation. I can imagine it as a young player, and not everybody's the same. Lots of people handle it extremely well. But And I texted you this last night, you and Austin. I, I think he's just really impressionable. I think he's yeah. used easily by people around him. I think he wants to like please people and make people happy and he wants to be, you know, that guy for his for his crew, his entourage, all that. So I, I don't think he says no very easily to people at all. I mean, I even see it I, I don't I don't want to project too much with his dad and stuff, but I, I get a sense of that that his dad is I, I don't know if using him is the right word, but he's definitely like enjoying the fact that he's getting to sit courtside beside yes. some famous people uh, because Jaws, you know, such a superstar. So I think, I think that's a big part of it. And, and when you, when you're like that, it's real easy for the the wrong people to to come into your life. Cause he's a rich NBA player who wouldn't want to hang around him. And, yeah. and it seems like you can't say no. The stuff that his dad has done, none, you know, it's all, none of it's like illegal or anything. Yeah. But he's done things where I look and I go like, oh man, I bet his dad's like trying, you know, he like wants to be in the posse. Yeah. He wants to be, like you said, courtside next to Jack Nicholson or whoever. Yeah. Like being that guy. And uh, that can just get toxic real quick, real quick. Hopefully Um, it's a good, like, you know, just wake it, wake up moment for job. Hopefully it's it's something that, that comes we're not going to say, oh, you know, wish this would have happened sooner before something terrible happens. Because, look, I mean, you're waving a gun around on social media, that's not a lot of positive. <laughs> Nothing positive is going to come out of that, but a lot of negative can come out of that. So hopefully he can start making some better decisions because he's such a f- joy to watch. He's, he's I fun. I love I love watching him, you know, even interacting with his daughter. He seems like a good dude, like a good yeah. dad, a guy that, you know, makes that a priority so hopefully he he does figure it out i hope so um finish with these two things john hill says smash that like button thank you john uh yes please do that 
I will appreciate it. And then finally, Ashton says, if we're talking about other teams, what's your opinion mm. on Derrick Henry on the trade block? The report came out today. A to Z posted about it. That the Titans are potentially shopping Derrick Henry. It's not surprised. He's got one year left on his deal, and he's twenty nine. Yeah, he's aging, and court and uh, running backs have a finite amount of time where they're at their peak and at their best. I think he's past that. I think he has good years left. Oh, he still. I mean, fifteen hundred yards last year. Yeah. He can still be a dude. He is past his peak. Yeah. And I would say you're just in terms of value in trades, it's all downhill from here. I would hate, hate, hate it because I love Derrick Henry so much. Not only has he been an incredible player, but he's an incredible just like spokesman. He goes out in the community and does great like charity work and stuff like that. And it's just been awesome. He's no trouble off the he's not not getting in trouble like John Moran. <laughs> you know, he's not doing any of that, not being a a, a headache. And uh, it's so, so valuable. But the the one where I would become completely incensed if they let him go would be Jeff Simmons. Derrick Henry, I love, but the Titans are kind of in rebuild mode now and he might get caught up in that. And I I don't love it, but it might be is, you know, is what it is because J-Rob was so stupid. But, you know, with Jeff Simmons, I mean, he's, he's the guy. If you let him go, you might be letting me go as a fan. I, I don't know, man. That I, I said because Pro Football Focus put out a report that was like um, the most likely landing spot for each quarterback, and they predicted Will Levis to the Titans. And I was like, if the Titans trade mm. up to, to get Will Levis, which would I think would require to get that high in the draft, it would require them to sell off Jeff Simmons. If they sell off Jeff Simmons and draft Will Levis, they can say goodbye to this guy as a fan. I thank you. Have a nice day. You can enjoy whatever comes out of this garbage because I I don't know if I would go away permanently, but I would go away until things <laughs> improve. That would just be what a spit in the face that would be. Yeah, so, I don't think they'll trade Simmons. I, I hope I, not. I mean, I know all that happened yesterday where he's unfollowed, you know, the Titans on social media and deleted stuff and that... It just seems to be like the standard at this point when you're going through uh, an extension negotiation, which we know, thanks to ESPN's Dan Graziano, that they have started those talks and had those discussions. I think that's pretty standard. I don't think they're going to let him go. There's no way they let him go. I mean, a year after letting A.J. Brown go and knowing how much they regret that and everybody wishes that they could kind of have that deal and that whole situation back. I mean, it pretty much got John Robinson fired. I don't think the new GM would come in and do the same thing with your best defensive player. I just, I don't see it. That's the kind of guy that you, you can't even find in every draft, right? Yeah. I mean, t- Tennessee was so Gosh. lucky to find him when they did. You can't let him go at all. I mean, J- Jameson says it here, I'm already very uneasy with things. I don't know how I feel about watching a whole new team. I mean. They're, but if you want things to change, if you want it's a precarious you want to get situation, past, you know, if you want to get to the Super Bowl, get to an AFC Championship game, you know, I know they went to one a few years ago with Tannehill, but you gotta you gotta change some things and do some things different. And that seems like that's what the new GM's doing. We'll see. All right, that is it. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who uh, has watched, hung out. Noah, Mister Jones, Jameson, who all John Hill shouting out the like button, uh, Nugs. Ashton, appreciate it. Everybody who uh, who's been watching, commenting, we uh, seriously 
can't thank you enough and support the sponsors because they support us. Um, that would mean a lot too. Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan, go to a to z sports.com to read the stuff that Zach writes, uh, and go to the a to z sports YouTube channel to watch words come out of my face. And other than that, that really is it. We'll, uh, probably have a midweek segment of some kind. I'm not sure exactly what I, it, I don't, it might be, maybe we could do one like selection Sunday. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to talk about it. Um, but that's it. I think for us, Charlie Burris, Zach Reagan, we'll talk to y'all maybe next week, maybe uh, the middle of the week. See you guys later.